also the functional word angel, angela, in, is followed by far the principal New Testament term for celestial beings in service to God. So uh, the label, effectively, a job description, it means messenger, communicates assistance from heaven. But all the terms that we've learned about in the Old Testament and most of the terms we've learned about in the Second Temple period all kind of in the New Testament get put into this form angel. Um, but not always. So we already looked at last week um, some other titles for angels like holy ones, glorious ones, right? Um, so we just want to keep that in mind. So there is, if you do a gr search for the word angel in the Greek, you get 175 occurrences uh, in the New Testament. So seven times it's translated as messenger. So because angelos in the Greek just means a simple uh, messenger. Six times as human messenger, okay? So a human messenger, like I am a messenger. I'm giving you a message, right? Or I don't know. Do we still do singing telegrams? Now, real thing, I would think so. Yeah, that would be a messenger. Or you've ever had a messenger's bag? Do you know why that the bag has a? Me it's called a messenger's bag, because they, yeah, they would carry messages, right? Okay. <laughs> and then it's interesting. There's one time um, it's translated as messenger, but it's an evil spirit messenger. So it's an evil. It, the text says in first, Second Corinthians 12, 7, it's when Paul's talking about his weakness um, and that, that was sent to humble him. It's a messenger of Satan um, is the way he uh, refers to it there. Or, or the way it's translated there. Um, so only four of the 175 occurrences uh, of Angelos point to fallen divine beings meaning it says the word angel, and by the context, you know that that angel or that spiritual being is not, is not good, it's evil, okay? So it's only four times. So the majority of the time when you see the word angel uh, in Scripture, it's talking about a spiritual being, a disembodied spirit, okay? Any questions about that? Um, yeah, and then three other times would be probably Revelation. Yeah. For the New Testament authors, ang angelos is a catch-all term for the supernatural agents who faithfully attend God, right, which we kind of already talked about that. The varied vocabulary of the Old Testament and the Second Temple Jewish literature is therefore largely conflated that's a big word. It means it's all pressed into the word angelos, okay? So meaning they take all the synonyms and the language and put it into one word. And what word is that, Riko, my game guy? Angel. There you go. Right on. Okay, so the first responsibility of angels is carried out in the very definition of their name, Right? which is a what? A messenger, right. A messenger from God. And Matthew one twenty is a good example of the th approximate 33 times that they act as messengers in the New Testament. So uh, Matthew one twenty says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So who brought, he's bringing a what? A message, right? And it's the message of that who's going to be born. That's right, Franklin, Jesus. And how was he conceived? Yeah, so supernaturally.
the only person. Yeah, that's usually not how it works. So the did you have some anybody have a question on that? Okay. So the second responsibility of angels would be ministering spirits. Okay. Uh, this ministry is performed for God, for humanity, as directed by God. Okay. So ministering spirits. Uh, this comprises of about actually three quarters of the 175 references to angels. So three quarters of the times they're ministering to either God or they're ministering to us. Isn't that interesting? So Acts 12, 7 through 16 is an example of angels ministering to humans. Okay, and we're going to read that here in a second. One way they minister is the idea of guardianship. You've heard of the idea of a guardian angel. Okay, um, and there is grounds for scripture uh, for that, which it's, it, this idea is captured by Matthew 18, 10, um, Matthew 18, 10, which we'll look at here in a minute. And then Matthew 4, 11 is an example of angels ministering to Jesus, okay? Um, and then Revelation 1, 4, 1, 10, 7 through 10, 17, 1, 17, uh, 17, 17, 21, 9, so on and so forth, all illustrate the ministry of angels ministering through interpretation, meaning they're bringing the message and then they're explaining the message to John. So they, they minister through explaining the scriptures or mainly explaining their message a lot of the time. So Acts 12, uh, 7 through 16, um, they had been beaten and put in prison, and while in prison, this is what happened. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood behind, be next to him, next to Peter, and the light shone in the cell. Now, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. That's pretty cool, huh? Now, I think we can make a couple observations here. What did he do to Peter? He hit him. So, that means that a spiritual being, an angel, has the ability to interact with the physical, right? Because if, if it couldn't, right, if it was just air, then it couldn't hit interact. But the spiritual being has a, uh, the ability to interact. It obviously has the ability to speak to because then he talks to him, right? And the angel said to him, dress yourself. Put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So then he's visible. He, he's not invisible. It's not a disembodied voice, right, that he's hearing. He's seeing this angel uh, in front of him. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what he was being, what was, he did not know that, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision or having a dream, Okay. Um, but what happens? He finds himself in the street. When they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Right? So then he's standing there, following the angel. He's out in the street. Now the angel is gone. Poof. Right? So it's just kind of an interesting interaction going on here. Um, Hebrews talks about having uh, good hospitality and do not uh, turn away hospitality to strangers because some have, what's it say, entertained angels unaware, meaning angels some of the time don't have to appear glorious looking. Do they? Sometimes they do, right? But they don't have to, right? They can uh, appear plain clothes, okay? Now, we're going to keep reading here because there's some other insights into uh, the background uh, for angels. When Peter came to himself, <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm not sleeping or I'm not having a vision. He said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, well, many were gathered together and were praying, and they were praying for Peter. And he knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, right? She's like, 
opened the door, right, and recognized Peter's voice. In her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing by the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Which is an interesting thing. It says, they're not meaning a physical messenger here. No, meaning somebody, a spiritual being that represents Peter. Okay? But Peter kept knocking, and then, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed because Peter was supernaturally had a jailbreak by the hand of an angel, right? Okay, and then Matthew 18 10. Um, any questions on that or observations? Let's just look here. Okay. So 18 10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, talking about the little kids, so that they can come to him. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my face of my father who is in heaven. So this is, these are the two ideas of where, not in second simple literature, but this is the two ideas where the idea of a guardian angel, especially for kids, comes from, right? And this idea of they always see the face of my father is the idea of access. Does that make sense? So it's the idea of, if they have access to God and are able to be in God's presence and represent these children in God's presence, then let the children come to Jesus and have that access. So that's kind of cool to think about, huh? They minister, uh, directed by God, of course, but they minister uh, to us. And then here, uh, when Jesus is in the desert um, being tempted, he, uh, he is ministered to by angels. It says, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were what? Ministering to, him, to Jesus, ministering to him. And we could think of an Old Testament character that was ministered to by angels, right? Famous guy, starts with an E. Sometimes you get it confused with another guy. Elijah, yeah, Elijah. Enoch, he walked with God and was not, so I don't know, he was ministered to by God himself, right? So. Okay, so then Revelation 1.1 talks about the interpretation, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must, must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So that making it known, that understanding idea is there. So the third responsibility of angels is to be agents of God's judgment. Now we've been getting a lot of this in Revelation, right? When we go through Revelation, all the bulls, the angels are acting, and they're all pouring out the bulls on the, on the earth, right? Or we have angels, even bad angels, acting as agents of God's judgment. They're released from the abyss, right? And they go out and they wreak havoc on the earth. So um, both bad spirits and good spirits are agents of judgment. So the majority of angels in Revelation are ministering to God and bringing about his judgment on the earth. And there's a whole slew of references there if you wanted like to read them. A passage outside of Revelation would be Matthew 13, 47 to 50, when Jesus is talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is that idea of judgment and who w the angels are the ones that are carrying out God's judgment right they're separating them out they're casting them into the lake of fire into hell so yeah any questions thoughts on that so far so they have lots of different responsibilities but uh, responsibility of speaking messages responsibility of ministering 
responsibility of bringing God's judgment. I think it would depend on their goal, right? So I think the way we have to understand is they are, they're not bound by physical things, right? So they can take an angel can basically, or a spiritual being, can take on any appearance it wants to do, wants to take on. Yeah. So the fourth responsibility of angels is to be heavenly warriors, right? So they fight for God. Michael, the archangel, is probably the most famous warrior. Uh, he fights for Israel, um, as seen in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Um, Oh, it's not in the right order. Well, we'll start with Zechariah. Zechariah 14.5 says, Speaking of the second coming, And you shall flee to the valley of, of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Ezel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. So we know holy ones is a form for angels, right? We learned that already, so... Uh, he's coming with all the holy ones, and then Revelation 12, 7 through 9 talks about a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deliverer of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, right? So there's a war. They're warriors, uh, the heavenly hosts fighting for God. Uh, Jesus says, I could have a legion of angels come down, right? When Peter pulls out the sword and chops off the, the servant's ear, and he's like, don't do that, right? Puts the ear back on. You know, I can take care of myself, right? So he, this idea of an army, an angel armies and we we sing that song the god of angels armies they're always on my side right so that's that concept put into song um revelation 19 14 um speaks of the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following jesus on white horses now a lot of people think um and i don't know this is debatable i guess but a lot of people talk about this being us Coming back with Jesus, I don't think the text bears that out. I think this is the angels of heaven coming back with Christ um, to fight in the battle of Armageddon, a show of power. But that's not a primary issue, obviously, uh, and we can have disagreements on that. Um, but I think that when you look at the other uh, passages like Jude 6 and that passage in Zechariah, it it conforms to the angels coming back with him on, in that second coming. Any questions so far? You okay, Riker? You look tired, buddy. He played hard in his game, that's why. All right, so the fifth responsibility of angels is to minister in worship to God, right? So we see this a couple different times, but Luke 2, 13 through 14 and Revelation 5, 11 through 12 are good examples. Um, but here, this one's appropriate for this time of year. And suddenly, there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. What were they doing, Ginger? Yeah, and saying, right, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among them, those whom he is well pleased, right? Okay. And then Revelation 5, 11 through 12 says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many, what? angels numbering in the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing so they're praising god right they're worshiping god 
So, this whole study of, on angels started because of the angel in charge of fire in Revelation 14, 18, and the angel in charge of water in Revelation 16, 5. I felt like those were weird statements, right? What, why are they are in charge of different things, right? And so all that research and everything. So here it says, another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has the authority over fire, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who has the, the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. All Revelation 16:5 that says, I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments, right? So we got angels in charge of different things. So after we've gone through all this information, where does the idea of an angel having authority over different elements come from? Well, it doesn't really come from the, second, uh, from the Old Testament because it doesn't have that much development of talking about it. So it comes from the Second Temple period literature. Two books, uh, Jubilees and Horse Enoch. Okay, so Jubilees 2 2 and Force Enoch 66 2. Now, um, according to Jubilees, God created um, angels and spiritual beings on the first day of creation. Uh, it says here, for on the first day he created the heavens which are above and the earth and the waters and all the spirits which minister before him. Now, these are phrases of the angel of the presence, the angel of the of sanctification, the angel of the spirit of fire, right? The angels of the spirit of the winds, the angels of the spirit of the clouds and darkness and snow and hail and frost, the angels of resounding and thunder and lightning, and the angels of the spirits of cold and heat and winter and springtime and harvest and summer and all of the spirits of his creatures which are in heaven and on earth. So, the Second Temple writers assigned different jobs to the different angels, having them created on the first day of creation. And then in en First Enoch 66.2, it says, But the Lord of the spirits, talking about God, gave the order to the angels who were on the duty that they should not raise the water enclosures, but guard them. For they were the angels who were in charge of the waters okay and then this is in the context of noah's flood so they're in charge of the waters of the flood of judgment upon the earth all right any questions about those two passages or those different things So after going over all this data, we can see that the heavenly host is comprised of both good and evil spiritual beings, right? The evil ones are in rebellion against God and will be judged, and the good ones are in faithful service to him, right? And it's somewhat like us, right? Those people who are in faithful service to God, right? And then those people who don't follow God, right? Right? Yeah. So what role then do we play in the family of God? Because God has a heavenly family and he has an earthly family, right? And part of what we were wanting to ask is if we understand the responsibilities of angels, then how does that inform our responsibilities? Okay? Paul says believers would judge angels in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, okay? And he's talking about not taking each other to public courts, but settling disputes in the church rather than taking them outside of the church because if we have the ability to, or we will have the, the privilege and honor to judge angels, we should be able to settle our issues without going outside the church. That's the whole argument. That's why he says, don't you know you will judge angels in 1 Corinthians 6.3? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life, meaning 
God has empowered you through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of His Spirit in your life uh, to have the discernment and through the Word of God um, to settle issues amongst yourselves, right? Some people take that whole passage and think that Christians should never sue anybody. That's not the meaning of that passage. It means Christians should not sue each other uh, in the legal courts, but should settle disputes outside of courts. That's what that passage and that part's referring to. But here he talks about angels being judged by us. What angels? Okay, well, this would be the fallen angels. Okay, the angels who in Deuteronomy 32.8 were given over to the nations, or the nations were given over to them. Remember that passage? I don't think I put that up there. But if we go into Deuteronomy and we go to uh, 32, 32 is the song of Moses. It's his closing song uh, to the people of Israel. And uh, around 8, he's reviewing, uh, he's reviewing the, the happenings at the Tower of Babel. Anybody remember what happened at the Tower of Babel? The languages got changed, right? The, the different nations were really created by the changing of their languages, right? And what were they trying to, why did their languages get changed? What's that? Yeah, they were disobeying God. They were trying to be like God. God had told them to scatter and fill the earth, and they were building a tower to reach to the heavens. And Deuteronomy 32.8 in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. What are sons of God? We learned that. Remember? In the Old Testament, what are sons of God? They're angels, right? Or spiritual beings, right? And so uh, the sons of God, they failed as what we would see in Psalm 82, right? Those angels did not do their job, okay? Psalm 82 says, God has taken his place. In the divine council, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, right? So he judges those angels um, and removes them from power. And we will participate um, as believers in that future coming judgment, okay? So Paul is referencing the fact that fallen spiritual beings who presently rule the nation, speaking of the sons of God, will be replaced by believers, right? That's what, that's what it means that we will rule with Christ. Uh, this point is made twice in the book of Revelation, first in Revelation 2, 26 through 28, and then in Revelation 3, 20 through 21, right? The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give what? Authority over who? The nations, right? And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen, earthen pots are broken into pieces. Even myself have received authority from my father. So we're sharing authority with who? Jesus, right? Over the nations. Okay? And I will give him the morning star. Okay? And that, that's an interesting term. Star is often a symbol for who? What? Angels, yeah. And then Revelation 3, 20 through 21 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, right? So shared throne speaks of not just a nice cushy chair, right? But it speaks of a position of authority, right? Uh, of joint rulership. And in, in a lot of ways, that's what God originally intended when he created the earth, right? Who, who, he, who did he put in charge of this earth when God created the earth? Yeah, Adam, mankind. Yeah. 
and then we totally messed it up, right? Right? And then, I mean, if you kind of think about it, man, well, the angels, we collaborated with, with the fallen, with the, the enemy, right? And messed it up, and then the enemy does it again in six, but it's almost like in Revelation, in, I mean, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, uh, in Genesis 9, he gives the nations another chance, uh, the, these spiritual beings, right? Because he divides them up between the nations, uh, the nations between the sons of God, and then it says later on that he chose Israel for his own, right? Um, but they, they dropped the ball as well, right? And did, he, did Israel follow God? Not really, no. So we see that God's plan is to unite his heavenly and earthly family for all eternity. That's his plan. He wants us as believers to have joint rule with him in both realms, enjoying him and the gift of all creation forever. Pretty cool, huh? That's the plan. So it's not sitting on the cloud playing harps, right? It's, it's an eternity of building and loving on God on, in a new heaven and a new earth, right? And when, when people get together and they're sanctified people, they're holy people, they're transformed people by the power of God, then people create, what do people create when they get together? Well, yeah, but <laughs> that's true. I mean, God, so that's the fallen perspective. But in the new heaven, new earth, when people get together, what will they create? They'll create healthy culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, a new culture. So, and, and, and they'll be governing with God over the whole earth, right? Um, so that, that's the idea. And it's pretty awesome that we have the privilege to play a part in God's epic plan of redemption. We get to play a part in it. That's pretty awesome. The angels play a part. We play a part, right? And we join the angels for all eternity. Praising God, worshiping God. Um, and if some people want to play harps, there's harps in, in, in Revelation, right? The 24 elders have harps that they're playing, right? That's where the whole idea of harps comes from, if you're trying to do a scripture draw for harps, by the way. All right, and that wraps up the angel study. Any questions? Any, any uh, thoughts? That's okay. I, I love, you know, questions too. So, Satan, the, some people think Satan was an archangel or a cherubim. Um, cherubim, you could have, you could draw from Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, that language, um, because both of those are uh, like epitaphs. I don't know if that's the good word for it. They're like reflecting back on what happened uh, in Eden. Does that make sense? And the pride. And in Ezekiel 28, um, he's called a cherubim, which would be a throne guardian angel. Um, the idea of him being an archangel um, would be more probably second temperature, temple literature. But then it's not directly because the name Satan himself, named as a name Satan, is not at all in second temperature, temple literature. Um, so then th that might be being drawn from some of like John Milton's work, uh, which is, w which it say again, a Paradise Lost, yeah, which is a fictation, which a fiction book, but has informed a lot of modern idea of thinking about angels. Um, yeah, but let me let me turn to Ezekiel and. 
just so you can see that. Oh, I can read that here. Um, yeah, so in verse 14 of 28, it, uh, uh, it says, You appointed guardian cherub. I placed you you on the holy mountain in the midst of the stones of fire you are. Um, so that scripturally, if you were trying to discover Satan's rank, that's where you would have to go. I mean, that's where you could go. Um, but the, I, I, ha, I would say it's more just common, not biblical angelology, but common angelology that he was like an archangel. Um, they're all like archangel characters that fell in like second temple literature, but they're like named Aziel and Belial and things like that. Yeah, I kind of like false gods. Yeah. Right. The only one that would, I mean, I could point you to that would be like specific would be, would, would be Ezekiel uh, 
I mean, because every time they appear in scripture, they typically appear that way, except for like, you know, the description of the cherub of, you know, Satan in Ezekiel 28, who's described as a cherubim, um, could almost be has some uh, dragon characteristics to it. Which dragon, you know, at the beginning is created good, right? I mean, a dragon is a a sea monster or or basically a dinosaur, which is inherently not bad, but because of their destructive characteristics and then the fall, they take on the I the imagery of chaos and and evil. And John just rubs this nice tight bow on on it in Revelation twelve nine. I mean just pretty much lays it out on that whole imagery line. Yeah, and then I would say, like, a lot of times if you're reading in the poetry section in the Old Testament, if it's talking about scorpions, owls, um, lions, like that, that's talking about uh, evil demonic forces. Especially in the poetry section, and then like one, it's like, like one. I mean, I I think it's Isaiah thirty four, uh, fourteen. Or, or it's there's Lilith is there in the. T I mean, it's actually the Hebrew word Lilith. Some people say like wind creature. Um, that would be a bad spiritual. That's a demon, a uh, female demon. Um. Yeah, that's angels. That's those are good. Those are good angels. Yeah. I, no, wait. I can't remember. That is a weird one. They, that Zachariah vision. Yeah, the basket. I'd have to look at that again. Yeah, I think those might be not good angels. Those are like the sh d demonstrating the uh, uh, apostasy of Israel to God, for them falling away. I'd have to. Rem yeah, you, Zachariah. It was that. It's the Zechariah vision, right? Uh, you remember it? Where in Zechariah? Yeah, no, that was a good, that's a good, uh, let me see. The vision of a woman in the basket. Is that the one you're thinking of? That's Vazak. Then you talk with me, came it forward and said, lift your eyes and see what's going on. What is this is that is going out? And I said, what is it? He said, this is a basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the, 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 behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. Is that the one? Okay, that's Israel. And he said, this is wickedness or Israel as wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket, thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Um, it's, and then I lifted my eyes and saw build two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket on the earth. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I would have to research that. That might be a, like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, are they taking the basket, he said to me, uh, to the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when it is prayer, they will set the basket down there on its base. So it's definitely speaking of Israel's captivity um, into Babylon. Um, yeah, I, I, that, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, here it's clearly just calling them winged women, w like a stork. Um, but then there is that whole stork roots there about storks carrying like babies. That's like rooted back into that. Um, so I'd have to, I, honestly, I'd have to, I need to research that. I don't, I don't know for sure. Any other questions? Yeah, there is a female demon named Lilith. Um, and Isaiah. Not every translation is going to translate it as Lilith, they, but Lilith is just the uh, transliteration of the Hebrew. Um, I think it's 
going to be between 10 and 16, but this, I have ESV, which doesn't uh, translate it as Lilith, and then that one doesn't have any notes in it. So Isaiah 34, 10 through 16, I think. It's, it's talking about the uh, God's judgment over the nations. Um, it's the day of the Lord, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion, and the streams will become pitch, the rice, and the land will become pitch. Pelican, the hedgehog will possess it, the owl, the raven will dwell in it. Um, he will stretch over it the line of desolation, the plumb line of emptiness. Oh, where's it at? The desert creatures will meet with the wolves, the hairy goat will cry to its kind. Yes, the night monster. That's how it's translated in the NASB. So verse 14, 34, 14. The Hebrew is Lilith. What's it say in yours? Because I know you have uh, Holman Sandal, right? A night board, all ESVs. Uh, 3414. Anyways, it's uh, it's a female demon uh, rooted back. If you do that, if you look it up in uh, Dictionary of Demons and Deities, rooted back into the the Ugaric and the Canaanite religions. Yeah, so that would be an outlier. Uh, typically, angels aren't in, are gendered. Um, they might give them male or female characteristics, um, especially like uh, demonic angels, right? Um like Lilith is probably the idea where a succubus comes from in our cult. A succubus? Yeah, uh, in our culture. Um, but typically, I mean, angels can appear as any gender because they're spirits, but they're not, typically, spirits are not engendered. That's a physical trait. It's an embodied trait. That makes sense? Yeah. But Lilith, I'm saying she's a female. I, maybe I should. She's depicted as a female deity, demon. All right. Any other questions or thoughts on angels or anything in general? Good questions, by the way. Yeah, so it's it would be talking about, my opinion would be, yeah, it would be, we're talking about the, the angels that are ruling the earth now will be judged with, uh, by us and God, right, on the, at the great, at the end, uh, end of time, great white throne. Yeah, as he holds court, right? Yeah. And what that exactly looks like, I don't know. You know what I mean? But it's that idea of shared authority. And, and there's good news, too, because it, we share the authority then, but we also share the authority now, right? So um, if, and it's not if, there are demonic forces at work, right? But through Christ, because we share in Christ's authority, we have authority over those demonic forces at work, right? So uh, over them in our homes, in our lives, right? And, and in a lot of way, we can claim space in community, right? So that's, that's what we are. We, we are holy space. Does that make sense? So Christ abides in us, and as we go, we 
bring Christ, the Spirit of God, with us, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's part of that authority that we carry. It's not uh, authority within ourselves, obviously, but it's authority uh, given to us by God. Yeah, well, and it's not like I'm thinking we should start thinking there's a demon behind everything, right? I mean, I, I think that's that would be going too far, but I don't think we should be ignorant either of the schemes of the enemy, right? He is a deceiver, yeah, and and he's good at it too. He goes about as an angel of light, right? So, and that's why Paul says, if anyone preach any other gospel to you, whether it be man or angel, let him be accursed, right? So don't don't go after uh, other angels, and that's why, like some of these other, well, Mormon would be the one that comes right to my mind, right? Their whole religion is based off of the Book of Mormon, which was revealed to Joseph Smith through on gold tablets through what? An angel, right? The angel Moroni. So, so just because an angel appears to you doesn't mean that what the angel has to say is totally legit, right? Yeah. Right. There's just as much demonic activity now. We just don't have the lens to see it. Right. We don't. We don't. We have. Well, culturally, we have a naturalistic lens, right? So culturally, we have a lens that doesn't believe by default in the supernatural. Now, I'm not saying that as a church we have that. But as a culture, we have that, right? Now, that is shifting, right? I think uh, those it's becoming more not naturalistic, but more mystic or uh, what's a better word for it? They believe in a spiritual realm, but they don't believe in God, right? So, um, yeah. Like, I can't believe how many kids talk about the weed. Yeah, new agey type, I guess, would be a bit, yeah. Like, kids are always talking, like, that, even within the last probably, I mean, I've been working at the school off and on, you know, for like five years, but in the last two years, they talk way more about, like, ghosts and, and things. And to them, it's a fun thing, but ghosts are not a fun thing. I mean, ghosts are, are not deceased uh, loved ones. Ghosts are demons, so... Not something to play with. Or fallen angels, how, however you want to label them, right? So, yeah. And if you take, like, you know, a couple weeks or a month ago, I was talking in Revelation 12 with the fall of Satan, and where did he get thrown down to? He got thrown down to this world. So, in some ways, uh, there, there's potentially more demonic activity going on now. Than, than before. Yeah, with a medium. Yeah. Um, so the way a medium works is they actually commune with the spiritual realm and they would call up a spiritual being, okay? Um, and if you read that story in Samuel, she's quite surprised or shocked because her being that she typically has come to her did not come. Samuel came. God let Samuel come. That's why she's, like, freaked out and then figures out that, wait, I'm going to die now because this is leader of God, yeah. Does that make sense? Um, so, like modern day mediums, probably, there's a certain amount of them, I have no idea percentage, but there's a certain amount that are legitimate, and then there's a certain amount that they're just preying on people's grief, right? And they're making it up. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying legitimate as in 
like you should go to one. I'm saying they're actually calling up demonic forces and communing with them. Um, and angels, they're not omniscient. Demonic forces are not omniscient. They don't know everything, but they're not dumb either. Does that make sense? And humans are quite uh, predictable. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you people try to justify their actions, right? The just devil doesn't make you do anything, but he definitely, well, he personally probably doesn't play a direct role, but uh, demonic forces definitely can help you be tempted, right? But you always cave to your own temptation, right? It's what you do with the thought. It's what you do with... Uh, the perspective, whether you engage or not engage, right? Or how you engage, right? What's the best way to engage? Well, I think the best way to engage is talk to God, right? Yeah, engage God, talk to God, talk, you know, just talk, you know, Satan or the enemy, he doesn't want you to have a relationship with God. He wants to do anything he can to mess that relationship up. So if every time you get tempted, right, or every time something comes at you and you say, wait, I'm just going to talk to God and I'm going to run to God, right, I'm going to come to the throne of grace, receive mercy and grace, um, then he'll find out if you're disciplined in doing that, that that's not as effective means of temptation, right? But if, uh, if you keep falling, then he's going to keep at it. Okay, well, I think we've exhausted that. Um, I'll have to think about any. Anybody have something in Revelation? Uh, well, actually, do you want me to look into that Zechariah passage, and I can bring back an answer on that for that next week? A little study on that. That sound interesting to you or not? It does. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's funny. <laughs> that's true. That that's true too. Okay, I'll look into that, um, and I'll come next week. That's what we'll talk about. We'll talk about that was Zechariah five, right? Let me look. Well, I know what it's about, so I can find it. Zechariah, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a good summary of Zechariah, too. Um, Zechariah has a combination of yeah, Israel's judgment and coming out of uh, Babylon. Yep. Yeah, it's Zechariah 5. Okay, so we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at that next week. It's a it's another uh, apocalyptic book. I mean, all the visions are it's similar to Revelation. In fact, uh, John. I mean, I've referenced Zechariah several times in in Revelation. So, well, Revelation references Zechariah. All right. Prayer requests. Yeah, you got COVID. Yeah. And and herself. That's hard. Okay. 
something else. 